heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. This is Healing the Whole Person on WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio. Well, hello and welcome to this episode of Healing the Whole Person. We have two hosts today. Our primary host is Mark Curran, a voice that we haven't heard from in a while. So, Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks, Angela. Also, we have on the line our favorite Father Robert Sears. Father, you're reporting in from Michigan these days, is that right? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, Father, you always start your show off with the Chaplet of Divine Mercy. I think their listeners are, are familiar with St. Faustina and, and the, the Chaplet, but why is it so important? You know, what graces can the listeners expect from saying that prayer with us at the 3 o'clock hour? <laughs> what we're going through is uh, interceding. We are God's extension of Jesus in the, our world in order to transform the world. So what Jesus has modeled for us, we are to learn and transform it because we have been given the, uh, you might say, the the permission or the uh, call to be custodians or healings of the whole world. And Jesus is modeled for us and does it in us. And uh, we just uh, surrender ourselves to Jesus' will and to the Heavenly Father's will in order to accomplish this. And so that's really what uh, our call is, is to be transformed in the image of Jesus, to be his continuation of transforming the world in his spirit. Thank you, Father. Father, today you wanted to talk about uh, the Sacrament of Reconciliation. And... um, you know, where do you, where do we begin when you, when you talk about such an important sacrament? Um, I know that you like to begin with Scripture and, and the um, backdrop for, for which we have this uh, sacrament. Yes, be, we've been doing a series on uh, the sacraments, and uh, we began, began uh, several months ago on baptism, which is where we're born again from above, and Jesus told Nicodemus, of course, that Unless you're born again from above, you will not be able to see the kingdom of God. So baptism is our entrance into the eternal gift of God's love, which he intended for us before Adam and Eve sinned. And we're freed from the sin itself, but the consequences of sin are left for the struggle, and that gives us what we experience today, is the struggle with the, the powers of our culture, the powers, the inadequacies of all our parents, because Jesus said to the rich young man, no one is good except God. And so we didn't have a choice to pick people who were unaffected by sin, because everybody from Adam and Eve were affected by sin until Jesus became human for us. And so really what we're being called to do is be restored into what Jesus had brought, Uh, by dying for us. And so, as Paul says, we're baptized into the death of Jesus so that we can live out of his resurrection. And that's what we pray in the Our Father. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So he's restoring us to what he had intended before Adam and Eve sinned. And so that's really what we're reflecting on in all of these discussions of the sacraments because they are given by grace, that is, by the Holy Spirit. They are effects of what 
Jesus has won for us by his death and resurrection. Father, let me just begin with the first argument that you'll hear from a Protestant or a non-Catholic, and that is, I don't need to tell my sins to a priest. I can go straight to God. Well, the, 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 uh, the truth of the matter is that Jesus is the one that is ultimately the uh, operator in all of the sacraments. And he has authorized uh, the apostles first, as we'll see. And when he rose from the dead, he gave the power of forgiving sins, which is reconciliation, to the apostles. And the apostles to priests, ordained priests. So they have the authority to do that in Jesus' name. So basically, it's Jesus that is operating the sacraments, not the priest or the bishops or whoever because we're just operating in the name of Jesus. And so this is really everything that is done by the priest, and only God can forgive sins. So sins are forgiven in the name of the church and in the name of God's authorization of those officials in the church that he's given that gift to. And there's scriptural support for that as well, right, Father? Yes, excuse me? There's scriptural support for what you just said as well. Yes, the scriptural foundation of all of the gifts, since uh, no one can baptize us in the Holy Spirit except the Holy Spirit and God. And so Jesus said, unless you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you won't see the kingdom of God. So otherwise, we're just doing our thing, not God's thing, and only God can forgive sins. Father, um, I want to. I'm going to give you a quick story in. It might uh, you could probably expound upon the infinite wisdom of God in this sacrament. So I went down to a prison called Angola Prison. It was uh, at one time the bloodiest prison. It was a slave plantation, and uh, through faith they they transformed it into the the model for all prisons. Anyways, there was a. Uh, a Baptist minister down there that I was talking to, and he knew I was a Catholic. And this Baptist minister had spent years with Jimmy Swaggart. And he said that Swaggart, the first time he fell and, and hooked up with a prostitute, he forgave him, but then he did it again, and it just, you know, he realized that, that there was something wrong. And he tells me this uh, story. He says, you know, I was a sheriff at the time. He says, Sheriff, um, I know you're a Catholic, and I don't agree with everything the Catholic Church teaches, but this Protestant notion that you can tell your sins to God and and it's that's all you need to do is, is total nonsense. God already knows your sins, number one. Number two, our sins make us feel ashamed and embarrassed, and that's exactly where the devil wants us so that we'll continue to uh, commit that same sin. And it's only by saying it to another person and exposing it to light that can we can somehow stop that domino that's going in the wrong direction that's a very good story actually because what we think we're doing for god you know we can't be doing for god only god can do what god does and so jesus gave his promise to the church that the gates of hell will not prevail against it that's not because the leaders of the church are are absolved from sin. <laughs> That's obviously not the truth. All of us are, so no one is good except God, Jesus said to the rich young man. And, uh, and the rich young man, if you remember in Mark 10, 
uh, said, the good master, what must I do to enter the kingdom? And Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one is good except God. Yeah. So we shouldn't be taking on ourselves that even our thinking we're going to God is going to God. <laughs> right. As, as you say, God knows everything already. He needs us to mediate the human way totally in submission to God. So Amen. it's a prophetic act, you might say. God's using the, the leaders of the church to communicate the, the, the forgiveness and his real presence in the Eucharist, etc., in his name. It's not because we think it or don't think it. <laughs> it's because God has ordained us to do that. And the church is always, uh, the Catholic Church has always acknowledged that, that only ordained priests and bishops, etc., can forgive sins because they were authorized to do it by Jesus. So, Father, the, I'm sorry. You know, when they appeared to them the first time, whose sins you forgive, they are forgiven them. Whose sins you retain, are retained. So, Father, for those of us, or those that are out there in the audience that listen to your program uh, every week, it's, it's healing the whole person. And for regular listeners, they know that you often talk about the concept of generational sin. Could you tell yes. us how generational sin uh, plays into the sacrament of reconciliation? Oh, yeah, that's very important because, uh, see, generational sin is precisely the effect of original sin. <laughs> it goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. And Jesus doesn't take away the consequences of our choices. See, God honors our choices, and once they sinned, they no longer had access to God's attitude. So they were following their own understandings, and they thought they had to be good, for example, to, and they hid from God. So that's a very good instance of what sin does. It fall, makes us fall back on ourselves and our own understandings, and we hide because we're filled with shame, because we know we can't make ourselves holy by ourselves. And so Jesus has given us the gift of confession and reconciliation, different names at, at different times, uh, to free us from those sins. And he gives us authority to the, those that have the gift of, of being able to uh, take away sins in the name of Jesus, namely bishops and ordained priests, uh, and that he's speaking through them. It's not that they're doing it. Right. Father, um, so we're required to confess our mortal sins uh, before we can participate in the sacrament of uh, the Eucharist. Yes. However, our venial sins are not required to, to be confessed uh, prior to that, but we should still be confessing them. Could you talk to us a little bit about what is a mortal sin and what are the uh you know what what qualifies as one they're clear from the ten commandments thou shalt not kill thou shalt not commit adultery thou shalt not steal thou shalt not you know bear false witness against your neighbor etc you know those are the ten commandments and they take the mortal sins are those that kill our souls in other words separate us from from god and from the church and so those have to be brought to confession because otherwise you're cut off from the church and from God. So basically, you need to go to confession with those, like the sacrament of adultery or the sin of adultery or, 
you know, all the different right. major sins against the, uh, you know, the Ten Commandments. Uh, so whatever kills the soul that separates us from God is a mortal sin. It's a mortal. It brings mortality. <laughs> but, Father, there's uh, exceptions to that in the sense that um, if something is a habitual sin or if the sinner wasn't cognizant of it and what have you, could you talk a little bit about um, what else is required beyond yes, just committing the act? For, for mortal sin, you have to be intending it and to know what you're doing. And so it, the, the will is important. But uh, so if something, uh, for example, that, that we, we kind of just were moved into doing it or because we didn't understand what the implications were, uh, <clears throat> that might not be a mortal sin. But if you're in doubt, I would say bring it to confession because that's where you know God is forgiving and absolving you from it. And so the... Um, Catholic, in in order to really uh, live the faith, they shouldn't. Uh, ignorance is not bliss. We need to really know the faith, and then we'll know <laughs> that what a mortal sin is. Right? It's not. You know, I didn't know there was a sin to not go to mass on Sunday. That's, and that's partly because I've never read the Catechism or really had much interest in my faith. That's that's not going to work, is it, Father? Now, the Catholic Catechism is a wonderful book. Everybody really should have hold of that if you want to find out anything. It's, it's very well done. But uh, the New Catholic Catechism, it's some 500 pages, actually. Yeah. Would, you, would you say that that's required reading for Catholics, the Catechism? Well, if they want to be uh, informed about these things, yes, it's because it's very thorough. There might be easier ways of getting at it. I don't. I can't give you all the different uh, books that are available. Right, Father. Let me ask you um, about. You know, a priest friend of mine told me recently that uh, most of the sins that he hears confessed today are sexual sins. And he, he said, you know, historically that was never the case with women, but now it's women come in and, and confess the same sexual sins that men did. And, you know, I think that's in large part because of the pornographic uh, culture that we're, we're currently living in. Um, what It's really a battle out there, isn't it? And, and how does this sacrament play into uh, saving somebody from, from, uh, from uh, self-destruction with those sins? Well, if, if they're, you know, they, they themselves will find out the, the effects of sin is it kills our, our a sense of meaningfulness in the world because we're really going against what God ordained. And so there's so many different teachings nowadays, like different, uh, you know, same-sex marriages and things like that, that really need to be looked at. In, and then with this early, you know, changing of sex for children is is very unjust and very very harmful to the children because they aren't old enough to make that decision they're they're being forced into it by our culture so there's many things like that and they really need a spiritual director in order to be guided through that process because it's a process of both forgiving the sins and then in giving instruction as to how to avoid the sins in the future and to live the virtues because once you start living the virtues that which you know brings you peace and that's really what you'd want to do because you're in peace because God if you're really grounded in God and God's way 
then you're going to have peace because nobody can stop God from getting what he wants. And God is love. He only loves unselfish love, self-sacrificing love, as we see from Jesus, who's willing to take on himself the consequences of everybody's sins, whoever existed or ever would exist, and forgive us. So that's a free gift of God, but we have to get it from God, not just from thinking we're getting it from God. So, Father, um, one of the things, I, I'm, Angela and I and all the listeners are out there are so grateful for the holy priests that understand the importance of the sacraments like yourself. But there's a lot of priests out there I, I, that I, I just don't think that they think the sacrament is all that important. I, I've even heard priests say really uh you know, things like that they find sacrament reconciliation boring. I actually heard a priest say that. Um, and, you know, yeah, all to... What, what did I say about <laughs> that? Well, I, I would hope that the priest would start looking, working for their spiritual growth. See, because when we, think we, when we think we have God all in a box, you know, that we have understood God and we're communicating to their other people, we're just leading them astray. Only God can do God's work. And when you're going to grow spiritually, you're going to have to die to yourself and let God be making the decisions. So basically, you have to follow the church's teaching. And uh, if you're not doing that, then we're just mislaying people, it seems to me. Well, not just seems to me, it is, that's what's happening. <laughs> yeah. And that's why people are falling away from the church, because they don't see it as different from any social organization or whatever. You know? Right. Father, you know what, I spent a lot of time in Washington, D.C. in the past, and they have a noon mass, essentially, at every uh, church in the district, and every one of those churches offers confession prior to Mass. Not a, You don't have to call the church and ask to schedule it. It's an automatic that a priest is sitting in a, in a confessional before the noon Mass. And in Chicago, the best we've ever done, I, I think, is like Saturday, sometimes before the uh, the 5 o'clock Mass, but oftentimes it's early, you know, in the morning when, when people have all kinds of things going on. Could we... Um, the church, when I, when I say we, the, all of us, uh, do a better job of making the Sacrament of Reconciliation more available? Uh, yeah, I don't, I can't speak for the diocesan priest because, you know, I've been a Jesuit, so, uh, <clears throat> but that really is, it probably should be more available, yes, like uh, available before every Mass, you know, that, that people could come. Uh, that's a perfect time for it, really, because people can come and get absolved from things that they need to be so they can go to communion, because the Eucharist is the, the powerful presence of Jesus in us that will help us to sustain a real desire to grow like Jesus is. There's nothing would would be more peace-giving for us than to live God's unconditional love. When people live that, like I mentioned in our last meeting there, I read of uh, uh, the Wild Bill story, I believe, I was able to be read at that time, and, and uh, he made a decision, even though he was in the war, and he was even Jewish, uh, when his whole family was killed, he made a decision whether he should hate the people that did this. But he was a lawyer, he said, and I knew what hatred did to people. So I made a decision whether I lived a long life. We'll pick up with that thought right when we get back. Right now. 
This is Wes Riccio from the Holy Family Catholic Bookstore wishing the fullness of God's blessings upon all those who will soon be receiving the sacrament for the first time. If you have a child, grandchild, or godchild being baptized, receiving their first Holy Communion, or being confirmed, remember that Holy Family has the area's largest selection of gifts, accessories, and supplies to make their special day more memorable. The Holy Family Catholic Bookstore is at 9249 Old Green Bay Road, Pleasant Prairie, Wisconsin. More information, including a virtual tour, is available on Facebook. Are you retired or near retirement? Do you want to keep a larger amount of your assets in a safe place with guaranteed interest rates to protect yourself from a huge market swing? Are you amazed at how low the interest rates are at your bank? If you said yes to any or all of those questions, you may want to call me, Matt Tomlinson, at Catholic Financial Life to discuss our guaranteed fixed rate annuities. Call 847-548-MATT, 847-548-6288. Products not available in all states. Hi, I'm Ava Burke, a producer here at WSFI and a junior at Carmel Catholic High School. We are hoping to expand WSFI to reach up to 8 million people in the Chicagoland area. To help us reach this goal, please donate to WSFI Catholic Radio. WSFI has been a vital radio station with getting the word out to so many people. Many conversions have happened through WSFI, and it has brought countless people back to the church and into the faith. But we cannot expand without your financial help. Please take a moment now to make a donation and go to WSFICatholicRadio.org or mail your check to P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois, 60048. Thank you for your help in making this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity happen. Well, hello and welcome back. We're in the second part of Healing the Whole Person. We have uh, Father Robert Sears here today. We're talking about the Sacrament of Reconciliation. And we have uh, Mark Curran hosting the show. So, Father, are you there? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. Well, that was a pretty lively first half of the show. We're going down the second yes. half of the show. And Mark, what questions did you have? You're looking over. Yeah, some I of was the wondering, uh, Father. You know, a name that we hear in scriptures and kind of s- slips by us a lot of time. Could you talk to us about Melchizedek? Yes, uh-huh. that was a. That's a very important. That we did that in the context of the Eucharist because uh, <clears throat> Melchizedek was in uh, Genesis, and uh, he was the one that, uh, after Abraham won the battle with uh, five other uh, groups, it helped, and uh, Melchizedek came out, who was the uh, king of Salem, which was Jerusalem, and he came out with a sacrifice of bread and wine, which is unique and he was the prophet or the priest of the high god most high god and uh, but he didn't have he wasn't in the line of Aaron which was the priests of the old testament which were bloody sacrifices of animals and things and uh, but his was a sacrifice of bread and wine and so it's appealed to in the uh, new testament and Psalm 110 and other places, that Jesus is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. He's ordained by the Most High God 
and his sacrifice is the sacrifice of himself in the form of bread and wine. And when you look at the Old Testament, or the, the, the New Testament, rather, the, Old, the uh, Last Supper, that Jesus uh, didn't drink the last cup. In the Jewish ceremony, it's not finished until the fourth cup is also drank. But they just had the song. They didn't have any drink. And it went to the end of the, the uh, crucifixion when Jesus in John's Gospel was offered the wine. He took it, whereas in the other t synoptic Gospels, he didn't. He took it and he said, it is finished. And he handed over not his spirit, but the spirit and the Holy Spirit, in other words. So Jesus' death on the cross is seen as the fulfillment of that. As a high priest, it was a fulfillment of the Seder, mess, the Seder meal, and it was fulfilling the Old Testament, which wasn't finished until he had given up his life on the cross. He is the living uh, food that was sacrificed in every Mass, but under the form of bread and wine, because in the, the beginning of the supper, he said, this is my body when he gave the bread, and this is my blood when he gave the wine. So that is a sacrifice. So the question of whether the mass is a sacrifice, yes, it is a continuation of the sacrifice of the only begotten Son of God on behalf of all our sins, so that they could be forgiven. Father, um Speaking of Melchizedek again, we reference him in, in the Mass, and, and why do we do that? Why did he reference the no, Mass? Yeah, why, why, is, why do we hear the priest call the name Melchizedek from the altar during the Mass? Well, it is mentioned not in all of the, uh, you know, the, the things, but, the, but certainly in the uh, first one, and that's a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, because of that to distinguish it from the uh, uh, Jewish sacrifice of uh, animals, which was the blood sacrifice. So the blood sacrifice was integrated into the bread and wine sacrifice by Jesus by beginning the Seder as the meal and having it all but finished until his, he actually did, did the sacrifice. So his body and blood, which is, he said, is this is my body, do this in memory of me. Uh, he was really saying that that is my body now given up for you in yeah. sacrifice. So, so Father, oh, is the living out of that sacrifice. Father, I want to ask you um, about mass attendance, and it, it continues to dwindle. And despite that fact, you know, the country becomes more and more Catholic, but it's just nominally Catholic. And you, you look at Ireland, you go back to the 1980s, and they had mass attendance in, in the 90s, mid-90s, in terms of percentage-wise. And now it's, they've dropped below a third. And I've heard it said that most fallen-away Catholics are one good confession away from returning to the Church. What does that mean, they're one good confession away from coming back to the Church? Well, I suppose it means that, that they're being taught in, in their confession what they're really doing, because they're really crucifying Jesus over again. Because one of the most things that like he gave to Louisa Picaretta, I, I think that's been a, 
brought up once or twice on the radio programs that people would know about what Jesus did in her. He began a new, a third fiat. He said, giving his will to actually do on earth what the Father chooses in heaven. And so that's very important. But in the Mass, that is what he is doing. <laughs> He's yeah. doing it actually, making the sacrifice so that we can be forgiven, and we're living out of that bread. Because in uh, our Father, when we say daily, people don't know what daily means, and so they guessed. There's only one in non-religious uh, writings where that word epiousios is used, and the epiousios means, epi is a word that means above, for, or on, you know, it also can mean daily, but that's, that's they're just guessing for the other text too. And that it only appears twice in the New Testament, that's in Luke's Gospel and in Matthew's Gospel. Uh, and so basically both of those use epiousios with the Our Father. And the, the, the word is epi, so it could be above, and then it's translated in the in the Jerome, one closest to Jerome is the, uh, the one from the, I forgot it was the name of it, but anyway, it's translated super, super substantial. So the way he translates it, which is uh, Jerome, based on Jerome's translation into the Latin, where he translates it is uh, super substantial. So forgive us our, our that's in uh, super, give us, no, Give us our daily, our super substantial bread. In other words, the Our Father really Which is, is different than transubstantial, right, Father? The Holy Spirit bread. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Don't be looking for the bread that perishes, but that which lasts for eternal life. And so just what God is offering us, we're praying for. Yeah. Father, I think that it would happens in the confessional at times is nothing short of a miracle and you know beyond obviously the the miracle of of the priest in persona Christo but the concept or what happens and you I'm sure you've experienced this father where people walk in and they have the weight of the world on their shoulders and they feel like the worst human being and then you say your sins are forgiven and they break down and cry and they and they just they can't believe what's been lifted off of them could you talk about that and, and how that affects you as a priest as well yeah well yeah it's, it's just making you, you you grow in faith i mean because you realize that that's what jesus did he took on himself those pains that suffering that death on himself which is the consequence of sin and he used it as a gift of free gift of love so it's manifesting and why could god even allow sin like that because we wouldn't know his love is mercy if we hadn't sinned because mercy is a heart for the miserable and we wouldn't be miserable if we hadn't sinned and so that it, by taking on himself all that misery and the agony in the garden, and, and he didn't do it alone. He had a partner, Mary. And if you look at the 12th chapter, where the woman giving birth to the son who will rule the nations with an iron rod is the one who is going to be, is the mother whose other offspring 
are all those who keep the commandments of God and witness to Jesus, John 12, 17. And so all of us, Mary was giving birth to us with Jesus, and she was in agony, and the word used in agony in, the, in Revelations 12 is not about giving birth, but it is about the agony of just dying, you know. She yeah. is dying with Jesus, in a sense, figuratively, but totally because taking on himself and herself the death of, that is deserved for sin in order that we would be forgiven and that she could be the mother of all the faithful. But it's a spiritual dying that she has, not a physical one in that sense, because there was no pain in giving birth to Jesus. Because Isaiah yeah. 66 says before she was in labor, she was in pain about it, Jerusalem as the mother of all the faithful. What is it, how do you feel like at the end of a, having heard confessions for a couple hours, did you feel exhausted, or, or how do you feel physically when, when you're in there? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I have that only about usually in retreats or things like that, where a lot of people will end up for for confessions. But yes, we, we I think priests take on that. They become tired, but they really are appreciated because the, the joy of being able to help people to come back to peace and to really, because if we're all, if we're only doing God's work, if we only do loving like the you know, Wild Bill did in that story, then we're going to be healthy. Right. We won't be dying. We'll be channeling God's healthy energy in our whole body, and the whole body will start getting well. You know, it's it's yeah. amazing. <laughs> so we should look at a lot of our illnesses not as things to be dealt with physically, but spiritually. Especially with cancer, cancer right. is a spiritual disease. Cancer is not uh, a pathogen; it's a it's positive, but it doesn't know when to stop because we aren't dealing with the issue that's eating us up. You know. Father, so explain would, that. Just take a. Do you mind explain why you're saying cancer is a spiritual ailment and not necessarily a physical one? But can I ask one question? Are we talking about like in young children? Group? The fruit of it can be yeah, it's spiritual because we really be given a, a warning that this is killing us, whatever we are letting happen in our deep self, you know. And some people oftentimes are avoiding the very thing that uh, to bring into the light and to share with someone who understands it and brings it to Jesus and know that it's healed. Like, and that's where you, the, I didn't go much into the generational healing, but that's where a lot of the sins are not just ours. They're our parents, and we've picked it up, and it prevented them from loving us unconditionally, so we picked up that hurt, and then we blame the parents, but they were, they didn't receive the unconditional love themselves. It's going back step by step. So when I pray for people, I ask them first to choose their parents out of all possible parents because the inner child has an invisible loyalty to their parents. And I've mentioned this in previous recordings because I postponed final vows for seven years and I didn't know why because I wasn't going to leave the Jesuits. And then when my priest, who was also a healing priest, asked me if I'd ever chosen my father out of all possible fathers, I didn't even think of that. He said, well, but I, as soon as he said it, I said, well, that's very important. I don't know if I can do it fully, and I didn't know about Louisa Picaret at the time, but I did know about Ezekiel 36, where the Father says, I will put my spirit in your hearts and make you keep the law. 
So I said, okay, Heavenly Father, I don't know if I can really bring this off, but I want to. And so I give you permission to let me choose my father out of all possible fathers because you did. See, God creates the spirit before he puts us in the womb, as right. Revelation or rather, uh, Jeremiah 1, 7, 1, 5 says. And so <clears throat> yeah, he is the one that has chosen it. And so I really chose that. So three days later, I woke up and I said, now I can take final vows. Yeah, that's a beautiful story, Father. Father, I see yeah. so much evidence of what you talk about on your regular show and healing the whole person. Uh, yeah. in, in the larger culture, when we get outside of even the Catholic faith, Deepak Chopra, who was a Hindu um, and is an expert on, on uh, illnesses and what have you, always talks about how unforgiveness invites the toxins of cancers into the body and heart disease as well. And... Wow. Um, you know, look at the look at the twelve steps and the and the magic of the twelve steps, and that was totally hijacked from the Catholic faith with the, with the uh, you know essentially confessing our sins to another. Well, I don't. Yeah, you know, it, it, it was it was a wise choice, and the the, the uh, AA groups that aren't bringing in the spiritual are not doing a good service to the people because they're leaving it on a level that is not uh, grounded in the ultimate truth of the, who God is, you know. Yeah. But, who, but uh, the people that, that do the best they can to get in the depth of the spiritual meaning of things, they're finding these truths out, and they're just deciding on it, you know, like the, the person of Wild Bill was Jewish, you know, but, yeah. but he just made it out of understanding, and so God... Treats every individual the same, as Mary told the visionaries at Metagorgia, but uh, not every religion is the same. So the teachings are different, but sometimes people know the truth because of the own depth of their own spirituality and their own experience in growing. Hey, Father... Um, what do we do, and I've heard this from so many people, that they go into the confessional and then they confess uh, you know, birth control or masturbation or something else, and the, and the priest says, oh, that's not a sin anymore. And, I mean, there's, well, a, lot, there's a lot of yeah, priests out there that are telling people that. I mean, what, what the heck? <laughs> yeah, they, they don't, there's a difference between venial sins, that it may not be a mortal sin, but yeah. it, if you keep doing it, you're substituting uh, self-desires self, uh, for unselfish love of others. It's the very opposite of what true love is. So when we're loving people only with the human love, that's doing a disservice to the other and to our own spirit because we'll be living out of self-giving love. That is what's really good for the other person. Those things are not good for you and they aren't good for the other person. And they could be mortal sins if you don't give them up and realize it's killing you and it's dulling your understanding of who God is. Well, the Catholic Church teaches it, that birth control is a mortal sin and absence of natural family planning. We have a we had a woman that Angela and I were friends with that wrote all kinds of books on the Mass and everything else, and she didn't think birth control was a sin. I mean, unless we get some clarity and, and some consistency, how is the Catholic people ever going to know what the Catholic Church is? Well, I mean, the Catholic Church has said birth control is a sin. In other, in other words, it's using the gift of giving life to cut, cut off life. 
and it's just the opposite of God's gift. It's the, just the opposite of fruitfulness. If we don't bear fruit, God will cut down the tree. Yeah. And basically that's really what we're deciding to do with birth control or with this uh, abortion by all means. Yes, because it's not your child, it's God's child that you're killing. You know, not because it's, he knows us before he put us in the womb. He didn't make a mistake. Yeah. Father, um, would you have you ever had anybody confess to you that they committed a murder? Uh, no, I didn't, on that, as a matter of fact. So okay. <laughs> um, I can't speak to that, yeah. but that would be pretty clear, I would think. So that vow of, of silence and everything, that, that it's so... And have you seen, Father, that there's legislatures, both in this country and elsewhere, that are trying to usurp that uh, protection of, of silence for the, for the priests? I mean... It, it's the Catholic Church is, is undergoing a period where we're just they don't respect us they don't understand us would you f- say that's fair uh, that the, the, the other people don't uh, uh, understand priests or their attitude or well they, they, they don't think that you know that I mean this is central to the you, you would never be able to disclose what was said in a confessional correct no, we don't control what is said in the confessional no. No, but you wouldn't be able to tell somebody else what someone told you. Tell somebody else. All right, let me give you an example. All right, I go to confession, and I confess whatever. And then you go tell Angela, hey, Mark Curran just was in confession, and you know what he he confessed to me? That could never happen, right? No, we would not share, of course, anything that's said in confession. That's uh, too secret, and that would be a serious sin on the part of a priest. Right. So, Father, I think what Mark was referring to is the certain legislation that's being debated that would require priests to disclose sins sins that were confessed in a confessional. So that challenging, certain legislation is challenging the priest's religious duty to keep silence. Is that correct, Mark? Correct. Uh, to, dis- to disclose what somebody has said in the confessional? Yes. 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 They're, they're yes. challenging this. They're challenging it. It's very serious. Very matter. serious. Right. Never to disclose that. Right. right. So that's why Mark was saying that they, that the stature of the church um, is being diminished because they obviously, you know, for us, it's so important for us to be able to confess our sins so that we can be forgiven, especially mortal sins. And yet yes. they're putting this pressure through legislation for the priest not to have the right, the religious right, to keep it private. So it's kind of diabolical almost, wouldn't you say, Mark? I would, I would. That would be something that the priest would have to die for. Yeah, would the priest would be be laicized if they they broke that uh, vow? That's what martyrs are made out of. They they have to do things that the culture wants to kill them for. (laughs) Hey, uh, Father, I want to ask you another question about confession, and then we want to get into taking prayer requests. But... um, a, a holy bishop once said to me, you know, I was telling him, you know, I was trying to get some advice from him and uh, telling him about something that I had done in the past, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, well, did you go to confession? And I said, yeah. 
and you confessed that? And I said, yes. And then he said, well, then don't worry about it, because the devil only knows about your unconfessed sins. What do you, what do you think about that comment? I never asked that bishop what he meant, but <laughs> I just thought maybe you would have thoughts on it. Well, well, I, I've never heard the question, but uh, I don't know what the devil knows or what he doesn't know. And uh, but uh, <clears throat> yeah, Jesus has already cast out the devil, so the devil shouldn't be a big problem for us. It is a big problem when we don't realize God's power. He's cast out the devil. So basically, we have what uh, exorcism in being is just command the Satan to leave the person in the name of Jesus, and how deep that might go because of the person. So it might take a while because to get to the depth of the permission of the person to have that devil stay, or of his ancestors, etc. Uh, so, but otherwise, the devil only knows what God lets him know, <laughs> and uh, God can only let the devil know or do anything that he means to bring good out of. And so what? What he's the good that he's bringing is that he can't the devil can't do anything that God isn't already uh, willing to take on himself to forgive. In other words, the reason that it seems to me that God is allowing sin is to show God's love as mercy, not just a free gift, but something that's costing him a lot his whole life. And his whole life, he, he was in right. agony. So as Mary was giving birth in agony, it was because Jesus took the consequences of sin from his conception yes. on in himself. Because as Irenaeus said, only what is assumed can be transformed. So Jesus right. was going through every stage of human development, and Mary had to be with him at every stage. So he, she was, in a sense, companioning him and interceding for everything all the way to the cross, until the cross, Mary couldn't be the mother of all the faithful. Father, we have a, I'm sorry, <laughs> we just Go have ahead. a minute left. Father, I'm wondering if you could pray for us and just pray for the listeners out there and just any last words uh, that you may have. Yes, I would. So, Lord Jesus, we just ask that all those who are listening, Lord, would understand that forgiveness for you is unconditional love, and you've taken on yourself freely when I asked you, you must be upset that I made you suffer so much, you said, no, I would have done infinitely more if you only believe I love you. And one of the greatest sufferings of Jesus was so many people were taking his forgiveness for granted and not realizing what it cost and how much Jesus wants us to change. So like with the prodigal son story, Lord, when the son came back, and the father rejoiced. He wasn't thinking of losing half his inheritance. He was thinking of his son coming back. And so when you go to confession, you're making God very happy that you're coming back. And he can give you all that he always wanted to, a share in his divine love and his divine mercy. So may all of you receive that right now. May the divine love and mercy of God come upon you and transform you to wanting that with your whole heart so that you can open yourself to the infinite and unconditional love of God, which we were made from in the beginning. We ask that through Christ our Lord. Amen. 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 Father, you're 
A wonderful priest. Thank you so much, Mark yes, Curran. Yes, I agree. Eight years of Jesuit schools for me, and you make me very proud. Me too, Father. <laughs> me too. God bless you. Okay, that's all we have today, Father Sears, Mark Curran. Until we meet again next week. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you.